The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? What's going on? Been a little while, but we're back on the saddle and ready to get into all the wonderful world of sports. Let's go. Yeah, man, it has been a while, so bear with us as we try to, you know, wade through these little ebbs and flows of the sports world right now where there's not really too much going on to be as current as we have been but continue to rock with notice score follow us on twitter at kts pod you can find us on the web at cspn.us you can also find us on itunes soundcloud stitch radio google play spotify and youtube so we're going to start with some nfl news because the nfl is never really out of the news they figure out a way to always keep themselves relevant. Absolutely. And Bob Kraft was like, hmm, let me make some news. I won the Super Bowl like a month ago. Been riding high. And then all of a sudden, comes through on the wires that Bob Kraft has been brought up on charges of soliciting prostitution after an investigation into a sex trafficking ring inside a day spa in Jupiter, Florida. So, you know, of course, that came out on a Friday. That's usually the media dump. And that had inspired a lot of jokes and, you know, just a lot of like, what in the world is going on? So, Dwayne, what were your initial thoughts when you saw Bob Kraft catching charges for trying to get a little extra something, something inside the day spa? That he got his seventh ring? <laughs> That was my first thought, yes. Uh, ring number seven. So, yeah, so one of 25 people charged in connection to this. This was just something real wild. Like, I I guess this has been something going on for quite some time. So, I don't know if it was a one-time thing, if it was a long-time thing. But, ah, man, you don't need to be doing all that. Of course, my other other initial reaction was he was hanging with Mika Gucci too much, but that's neither here nor there. Um, But, no, those are jokes. So anybody listening that loves Gucci or Meek, I'm just kidding. So please don't flood my mentions. Okay, so, but this was, was crazy, like, out of all the people, the the um, owner who is supposed to be like the one of the most influential owners of the last quarter century gets caught up in something so crazy, and and now this is gonna. I think this time he's gonna probably be on his own in terms of like getting support from the owners or getting support because you know the owners are subjected to the. Uh, personal conduct policy just as much as the players are so uh roger goodell i it's your move now what are you going to do in regards to this um you know jim ursay had the hammer thrown at him but are you gonna do the same with robert Kraft? even though he's got a lot of influence we just have to wait and see the report is allegedly there are two incidents that are caught on camera Mm-hmm. So they got him red-handed. Apparently, according to the press conference they held, where the reporters were asking the you know pertinent questions. So he has two charges up against him. So we'll see. Uh, this won't jeopardize his team per se. This is this isn't a Jerry Richardson situation where he could be stripped of the Patriots and you know a whole new ownership group will be 
brought in. But like you said, it's just a kind of black eye on the ownership group, and he'll have to go through the conduct policy. Jim Ursay was suspended for six games and fined half a million dollars. So that's pretty much the benchmark for owners acting up. So we'll see once this is all sorted out and whatever comes down where Bob Kraft gets put on that. But yeah, just a uh, you know, off the field story that's totally wild. Yeah. And I think what's like really getting people all caught up with it is like, you know, it's one thing to just be like, hey, the day spa was doing naughty things if you paid a little extra money. But I think what's getting people really caught up is like the it's like sex trafficking. Like, oh, okay. Right. So like you know, that's like a whole different spin on everything. So, you yeah. know, once more facts come out, you know, that actually may be the kind of the thing that kind of does them in and actually may turn things more sour than they are right now. But, you know, as all things that are caught up in litigation and dealing with the police and courts, you just have to wait and see how things shake out. Speaking of things that happened off the field that impacted the field, Kareem Hunt is back in the league. After the video came out of him striking a woman and then the Chiefs making swift actions and cutting him, he's been picked up by the Cleveland Browns. So the Browns are, you know, getting in, you know, the bargain basement price. He's, we would still be under his rookie deal. Second, this would be his third year in the league. Uh, Of course, he has to go through whatever, you know, penalties the commissioner will deal out to him as he gets reinstated and, you know, will be suspended and so forth and so on. But as far as the risk versus reward, Dwayne, how do you feel about Cleveland picking up Kareem Hunt? Is this a good move or is it something that may backfire in the end? Well, it's going to, it's not good in terms of pretty much seeing how, seeing how everything unfolded and, Pretty much, what's the word I'm looking for? The having having somebody go through all this, but it's going to be really on how Kareem Hunt responds to this. Uh, you know, we saw how and Kareem Hunt is still young. He's still a young, dynamic back in terms of. His ability. I mean, when we had the whole Ray Rice situation, Ray Rice literally got blacklisted from the league pretty much, even though everything ended up, you know, working out for him and his now wife. But with the whole Ray Rice thing, we don't forget Ray Rice was on the downside of the, you know, you hit that running back age at 30, it goes downhill from there. And at the time, he was only averaging like two or three yards of carry. Kareem Hunt is more of a dynamic back. So the reward and the payoff, if you add him in a backfield, it's already loaded with Duke Johnson and and uh, Nick Chubb. That's You had Kareem Hunt in there. That's going to be a loaded backfield behind Baker Mayfield. Uh, and you got Jarvis Landry, David, David Njoku. And you got offensive minor coaches like Freddie Kitchens, who's uh, – who was a former offensive coordinator. So for the Browns, on the football side of things, it's a really good move. You get them at a bargain price. If Kareem Hunt is really uh, definitely remorseful from his actions, which from what I saw in his interviews, you know, he he did look like he literally, like his whole world got blown up. But he kind he, he also knew that that was going to, Happened, and had he not lied about it, it probably wouldn't have been. He probably might have still been a chief, but you know, it, it's it's what it is. It is what it is at this point. You know, even if there's outrage, people really gonna be upset with the Browns. You know, at the end of the day, it's a business, and you know, you gotta do business moves, even if people don't like said business moves. What Kareem Hunt and Michael Vick should show these players is no matter what you do, tell the truth when they ask you. Because guess what? They probably got Olivia Popes and other Ray Donovan type people around that can maybe help you if you tell the truth from the beginning. But if you 
come out and lead them down the wrong path and then, you know, they find out that it was something else. Yeah. Then you really going to have a hard time in all these circles. So it's always best to tell the truth when there's million millions of dollars involved there, guys. Uh, Antonio Brown, he met with the Steelers and uh, both sides agree that it's just about time for them to part ways. Uh, what's really going to suck for the Steelers, though, is they just signed Antonio Brown to that big contract. So when they trade him, they about to take all that salary cap hit. And the other team is going to be like, huh, <laughs> thank you. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's just gotten to the point where um, I guess he sees Juju Smith-Schuster on the horizon. He kind of sees how they treated uh, Le'Veon Bell. Um, it looks like, in a way, he's tired of Ben Roethlisberger shit. So, you know, change the scenery is needed for Antonio Brown. My question to you, Dwayne, is where is the best place? I'm not, you know, all 29 teams want them. All 29 teams can't make it fit and work under the salary cap. But, you know, where, do you, in your estimation, is the most logical places or place for Antonio Brown? Oh, boy, this is it's a very good question. And... And so, probably the the ideal situation. I mean, every it's like I said, it's ideal for all twenty nine other teams. Well, we already know four teams that he's not going to. He's not going to New England. He's not going to Baltimore, Cincinnati, or Cleveland. So we can count those four out. Um, so all the other twenty five teams that are left. Have a shot. Their perf- their preference is to send them to the NFC. So you would say you take out the nine other AFC teams, and so now you have sixteen. So now you could have a nice little t- tandem in Dallas of Cooper and Brown if they could make it work, which you probably can't. Don't wish that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Well, I was about to make you feel better. I was going to say Washington would be a good, nice spot. For we them. can't afford them. The, well, you just We'd killed have to, my optimism. Yeah, we kind of killed my optimism there. And then <laughs> I was going to say, we also need a guy to throw him the ball. Uh, no, 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 no. We, we First off, we'd have to cut, like, all our good players and then some old people just to be able to afford this contract. We can't do nothing in free agency this year, man. We're That uh, that that uh, Alex Smith contract, ugh. It's the worst right now since it looks like he's not going to be able to play football next year. So, with that being said, since you know you just took out the Washington theory, um, how about the Giants? Especially since Odell Beckham Jr. just signed a big contract, and you could do a trade with the Giants, Brown for Beckham. Now, would it be straight up, or would you have to throw a few things in there? I don't know. But it seems like a lot of people in the Giants organization are kind of getting fed up with Beckham. And, you know, you got to disgruntle Antonio Brown. So that's a possibility. Uh, you could also have Detroit, who needs a top receiver. They haven't had a top receiver really since Calvin Johnson. Kenny Galladay could be that guy, but he hasn't really – Emerged as that guy, and let's see who else. Um, I don't see the Panthers having the assets to do a trade for Antonio Brown. I mean, I think I did have a little dream of Cam Newton throwing the ball to Antonio Brown, and then yeah, McCaffrey. That would be a pretty good squad, but I don't know if the Panthers have enough to do that. Um, the Steelers don't have to be pressed. That's the main thing. They're not really pressed to do anything. So Antonio Brown wants to sit out. He might as well just pull him. Maybe I'll just sit out. So uh, I would just say probably the best thing I could think of at the moment is a trade for Odell Beckham Jr. And you send Antonio Brown to the Big Apple and play for Blue. All right. That's a very interesting uh, theory I haven't heard before, so I'll definitely be keeping my eye out on that. Something else that we kept our eye out on that was quietly handled behind the shadows was Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed. They settled in their collusion case against the NFL. 
So a lot of people are reading, you know, a lot of mixed signals into that, like, oh, you know, they sold out for the cause or or you know what? It was so bad that the NFL knew they were going to lose. So they just needed to come come to grips and settle with these guys. So Eric Reed was fortunate enough to get a job with the Panthers. He had to take a lot of P tests, but the Panthers made it worth his while. They gave him a three year extension right after the season. So he's taken care of. Plus, he's gotten this settlement from the collusion. So all eyes turned to Colin Kaepernick. Dwayne, in your estimation, what should be his next move? Should he just continue to go down the activist route with whatever the settlement was from the NFL? And now he's got, you know, funds to to to, to go hard and, and do this as a lifetime thing. Or should he try to, you know, now that everything is clear, try to get back into the league? Or is it possible that he can do both? Wow, I would say he could do both. I mean, why not do both? Because at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, this is something where where this team, there's a team that could pick him up, and it's the same team that Eric Reed's on, the Carolina Panthers. I mean, you could look at it as... You know, Colin can back up Cam Newton, especially if something goes wrong with Cam Newton's shoulder, which he's had a lot of problems with. You could also say that if he does go the activist route, he does have the funds to for his cause, and he can continue to donate to different groups and different uh, causes that are in this in this fight for, you know, equality and fight for justice, social justice. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, even even with the opportunities that the AAF does have uh, for Colin Kaepernick, but, you know, this guy's an NFL player. He, he went to the Super Bowl. He's better than a bevy of quarterbacks that were that were called and signed the contracts over the last several years. And you know, I hope he does get another opportunity because this is a great player and he deserves uh he deserves a chance. I mean, just because he took a knee doesn't mean he should be blacklisted, but that's unfortunately the reality of the situation because these NFL owners are pussy and they're scared of that orange buffoon in office. And our final two notes in the NFL, Kyler Murray, he's committed to play football. So he's turned down the Oakland A's and the guaranteed money to come into, you know, their um, spring training and, and pursue his baseball career. The MLB, they had even petitioned a, special exemption to try to get him a little bit more money to try to entice him to come to baseball just because of the notoriety and the and the fame that he has off of playing football at Oklahoma and winning the Heisman Trophy and and being, you know, the, the talk of, you know, college football. So now this is somebody who, depending on how things go with the workouts and how tall he is and how big his hands are, may actually drop down to the Washington football team at 15, but by all accounts, he'll probably get scooped up around in between 10 and 13. So how do you see Kyler Murray fitting in to the NFL, Dwayne? Why not? I mean, he's uh, he may be an undersized quarterback, but look at Russell Wilson, look at Drew Brees undersized quarterbacks who have been very successful. And, you know, there's a knock on his, there's a knock on him about his height, size of his hands, but, but he is, uh, he's a very great football player. And, you know, I'm sure it was definitely difficult for him to forego all the uh, baseball money because he is a very great, uh, second base, uh, second baseman. He's a very great uh, player, uh, and, and that's why the A's drafted him so high. And 
you know, if it doesn't work, if his stock drops, if he ends up not working out, I'm the A's do. I'm sure the A's hold his rights, even though he gave that money back, right? I think he might have to go back into the draft again because okay. he didn't take their money. Okay, so so that so yeah, there is that. So. So I think that even though I think he, he his love was more for football than it was for for um, baseball and and you got to go with what you feel is best and he's going with what he feels best and and you know that's all that matters at this point. And our last note will be the NFL Combine starts on March the first. Uh, Dwayne Haskins has committed to throw. I don't think Kyler Murray is going to be doing anything at the combine, but you know, the combine is always fun to see. Uh, I like watching the defensive backs personally. They're always the last day. Uh, everybody gets enamored with the quarterbacks and who can run the fastest when it comes to the skill positions. But, uh, you know, you can definitely see some just freakish athleticism. They may not be great football players once they put the pads on, but, uh, you know, you get to see some great feats of strength and hand-eye coordination when these guys do these things at the combine. So uh, those three days, the first, second, and third, should be pretty fun. And I'm pretty sure everybody on Twitter who follows, uh, like Mike Felder in the bleachers, that would be a good person to follow if you want to get some in-depth into some of these guys and what they were in college. This is kind of your first time looking at them uh, at the combine. So. Go ahead and check that out and see who could be the next star for your team. This is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm being joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. You can find Know the Score on the CSPN Network. You can find the CSPN Network on the web at CSPN.us. So we'll turn over the page to Major League Baseball. The two free agents became one free agent out there. As Manny Machado, he finally signed a deal. He got the 10-year, $300 million contract with the San Diego Padres. So the San Diego Padres have the number one farm system in all of baseball. Last year, they signed Eric Hosmer to a big deal as well. So it looks like the Padres are trying to position themselves to become a contender out there in the National League West with this big money deal to get Manny Machado. Were you surprised that it took this long? And were you surprised that it was the Padres that signed Manny Machado, Dwayne? I wasn't surprised about how long it was taking because at this point when they didn't have a deal to win their meetings, it's kind of like showing, it's kind of like the owners pretty much showing that a lot of them were like, do we want to have the same effect as the pool host deal and you know you look at the other pool host deal you know for i mean he's kind of re-emerged i know injuries have kind of stalled him down but he hasn't really been the same since that big mega deal that he signed but i think what did surprise me that it was the padres that did uh, make this move but it just shows that it was a good move because, you know, you already – it shows that they want a winner. And they started that by signing Hosmer. Then they, then they did the uh, signing – then they got the signing of uh, Machado. Uh, and then, you know, you don't give up any of your prospects in the system. So now you got the quarters covered. You got a nice – so you got a nice quarter right there, Hosmer Machado. You got great depth to the farm system led by Fernando Tatis Jr. And this is a really great move for San Diego. And now it's going to be up to, it's going to be up to them now to, you know, stay healthy, get through spring training unscathed, and then, you know, get off to a good start of the season. And now with the, the only domino that's remaining with uh, Bryce Harper. And, you know, he could go to 
many different destinations, you know, a couple of NLS teams in the mix as well. And we'll just have to see what happens from there. The Dodgers, they're rumored to be back in the Bryce Harper talks. Now, I don't know if that's just Bryce Harper's people trying to create a false market so they can get like $310 million in their deal. But, you know, they're going to try to get a little bit more than what Machado got because they figure to themselves that they're, you know, Bryce Harper is the better ball player. But it appears that the Phillies are the team that are going to land Bryce Harper. It seems like they've had the inside track uh, since the toss have been going on. The Phillies have been working hard in the offseason to become a contender. They signed Gene Segura as well. So it looks like Philadelphia is trying to make uh, – they were, you know, a team who contended for three-fourths of the season last year. They faded on the last fourth of the season. But it looks like they're trying to get their reinforcements up to try to win the National League East this year. <laughs> Do Would Bryce Harper be the missing piece to make the Dodgers the World Series champions this year? because they've been to the World Series the past two years to come up short, or does Bryce Harper, if he goes to the Phillies, put them in a National League Championship Series? I say neither. What about the San Francisco Giants? And you could, you could also say that he could maybe reverse that odd-even curse, even though the even year didn't work out for the Giants. You know... I think they they could still be contenders, but if you really, if it's up to, if it, in a perfect world, I would rather see him in LA than Philadelphia for obvious reasons. Um, but we could probably, I mean, if Philadelphia does have the inside track, if they're smart, they will get the deal done so they can, they can get the deal done so they can. Uh, you know, make sure that he gets the he gets there because you know the owner went to Vegas and really nothing's come about of this. Looking for a resolution, but nothing's come about of this. So it's just a matter of if he goes back to Philly and is Bryce Harper going to be in tow or not? Yeah, we'll see. It's been a weird off season, like you said. It appears that the owners are not uh, falling into that, you know, trap of paying a guy who's uh, 25, 26 years old, a 10-year deal. I think it's the years. I don't think they mind parting with the money, but I don't think they want to get locked in because, uh, you know, the first three years, maybe the first five, are the most value you'll get out of that particular player. And then, like you said, if there's any injuries or the down – turn happens those last five years are definitely not an equal return in, in investment so um i think uh you know a lot of people were saying bryce harper might not do a 10-year deal he might do like a three-year deal and just get you know as much money as he can and then just do it again in three years just because you know the, the economics and the landscape is changing in baseball but uh, we'll definitely be interested to see what happens it should come down here in the next couple of days i don't think it's going to linger much more past this week. I think uh, by the weekend, he'll be in somebody's spring training. Yeah, I agree. Now it's time to turn over to the NBA where we had the trade deadline. So we had a lot of people moving right before the all-star break. Uh, the biggest news definitely was the 76ers. They acquired Tobias Harris from the Clippers. The Clippers are getting into – um, you know, gear up for free agency mode, trying to attract as many free agents as they can uh, to try to, you know, turn themselves around and get themselves in a position to go after a uh, championship uh, in the next few years, setting themselves up for free agency. The Raptors acquired Mark Gasol from the Grizzlies for uh, Jonas Valachunas. The Magic, they traded for Markel Foltz. Chicago, they traded Bobby Portis and Jabari Parker for Otto Porter. And the biggest news of the trade deadline, of course, the Lakers and the Pelicans, they failed to complete the trade for Anthony Davis. And the Pelicans GM, Dale Dimps, he gets fired. And Anthony Davis has been put on a minutes restriction for the rest of the season. Um, so we'll start there. 
the Lakers once again trying to make a big move with the Pelicans as their trading partner. And uh, this time the NBA didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, the Pelicans were just trying to see how far they could go. <laughs> so the Lakers were like, man, <laughs> we trying to give y'all everything, but y'all can't have everything. So uh, once once that fell through, uh, once they the Lakers made the quote-unquote godfather offer, and the Pelicans were like, uh, yeah, but could you add one more pick in there? Uh, the Lakers were like, no, man, we're not going to do this. Uh, so they'll try again at the end of the season. Uh, Danny Ferry has taken over as the Pelicans' GM. Um, this is a weird situation because Anthony Davis isn't a free agent yet. He's still got one year left on his deal, so – you know, I mean, in all theories, the Pelicans could just be like, oh, we're not doing anything. We're just going to get our maximum uh, value out of you until next trade deadline comes up. But, you know, I, I don't think they'll do that through their offseason. But do you think that with all this turmoil and, and the trade not happening, that that was pretty much, you know, the Lakers' last hopes at actually trying to be a competitive playoff team for this year? Um, I would say, I would say, I guess I might answer a little differently. I would say this. There's no rush at all for the Pels to make this deal. That's one reason why. And I also think that there's a certain player that wears green that they are coveting more than what the Lakers are offering and that's Jason Tatum of the Celtics I think well that's what I guess that was probably during when Del Debs was the GM so this is pre-Debs firing I think the re- one of the reasons why they make the deals because of course you know because the Celtics can't make the deal for Davis because of the Kyrie Irving trade that they made the year before and the Derrick Rose rule and can't have two rookies on a max deal. So, but I think Del Dunn's was coveting Jason Tatum a little more than Lonzo Ball and Kyle Kuzma. And I think, of course, the Celtics have four draft picks in the first round for next year. They have their own pick. They have the Grizzlies pick. They have the Kings pick. And they have the Hawks pick, I believe. So so they have a bevy of draft picks, four of them in the first round. And it could either keep those assets or trade them away. And, and so... Even though there was probably a lot of rumors saying Davis didn't want to be there, which, you know, he kind of killed by saying all 29 teams are are on my list, you know, during All-Star Weekend. It's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out, but there's no real, I don't know what Danny Perry is going to do. I mean, in all honesty, actuality, they don't have to do anything, but I'm sure they're going to have to do something because you don't want to go into next season with all this where Anthony Davis is going to go. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go that? We, you know, and that's going to be good for us, you know, because we get to report it, but I know it's going to be bad for the team going down the road. Do you think the acquisition of Tobias Harris, excuse me, has put the 76ers into the driver's seat when it comes to the playoffs of uh, representing the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals this year? I think it does. And, you know, the Sixers made a lot of moves, and that was probably the biggest move that they made getting Tobias Harris. And, you know, not only do they get Tobias Harris, they literally have they have an expiring contract. So even if he goes in the free agency, they could have the chance to resign him, but his salary won't be on their books anymore. So it's a win win for the Sixers. They get a 
quality player that can get them over the top. But everybody's going to have to buy in. And by everybody, I mean Jimmy Butler because, you know, Jimmy Butler's already had those issues with the Sixers about having, you know, having to deal with Simmons and Embiid and then also having fits about not getting the ball. And now you add another score to the mix who can really put the ball in the basket. Uh, so everybody's going to – it's just going to be a matter of if he can buy in. I know he's never been in a situation where he's had so much around him. You know, we saw what happened when he did have everything around him in Minnesota, and that didn't really work out. Jimmy's an alpha dog, but he also – this also is a chance for – for the Sixers to really make noise in the postseason, fail to get to the NBA Finals, they should at least get to the Eastern Conference Finals, where I think they'll probably play the Raptors. All right. Uh, is there another before we move on to All Star Weekend? Is there another trade or acquisition that that I didn't cover that kind of stood out to you that you think is going to help a team get over the hump? Um. I think the only one that real nothing that was not mentioned really stood out to me, but the one that you did mention that fascinated me was the Marcus Soul trade uh, to the to the Raptors. That that stood out to me, but that's about it. All right, All Star Weekend was in the Queen City of Charlotte. This past weekend, uh, Team LeBron, they overcame a 23-point deficit in the second half, and they beat Team Giannis to win the All-Star game. Uh, very good fourth quarter, uh, really second half for Team LeBron. Dame Lillard, Dame Lillard and uh, Kevin Durant spearheaded the comeback. Um, I think the, the play of the All-Star game will be the bounce pass alley-oop step through to Giannis for the spectacular dunk. Uh, anything else that stood out to you in the All-Star game, Dwayne, that you'd like to point out? No, nothing that really stood out to me. I was actually at work, so I didn't get a chance to watch it like I really wanted to. But I do know that there was, you know, just having it in Charlotte was pretty cool to me, you know, being from there and all that. All that jazz. So, uh, good job by the Hornets. Shout out to everybody at the Spectrum Center. That I know that still work there for putting on a great show. So, shout out to them. Yeah, give a big shout out to Adam Silver for giving a special exemption for both Dwayne Wade and uh, Dirk Nowitzki as they both got to participate in the All-Star game in their final seasons. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki was three for three in the first half. Uh, shooting threes. I think that might have been all he played. And uh, Dwayne Wade got in and, you know, got to throw back to time a little bit and throw alley-oop to LeBron. So, you know, it was cool to see them get a chance to be recognized and, and you know, have the fans thank them one last time uh, at the All-Star game. Now, on the Saturday night, of course, the dunk contest, um, what you may feel about it may have changed in the last 20 years. But it can still make a star out of somebody. So Hamadou Diallo of the Oklahoma City Thunder was the winner of this year's dunk contest. And uh, now everybody's waiting for him to get in games and, and see what he can do. So uh, how do you feel about this year's competition? Um, I think I thought Dennis Smith Jr. had a real good chance there, but uh, he messed up uh, a couple of dunks there in his attempts and kind of had to settle for a little bit less spectacular dunks in his attempt, so I think that knocked him down some points. But how do you feel about the dunk contest this year and the overall winner? I felt like it was, I mean, it was just, it was okay. I mean, because, you know, a lot of the stuff we've seen before, I mean, the Diallo dunk over Shaq really stood out. You know, the ripping the, ripping the jersey showing the Superman was pretty cool. But... It, I, I think the skills competition was my favorite part of the night, especially when Jason Tatum threw that ridiculous uh, half-court heave to beat Trey Young. 
and that was that was one of the plays of the plays of the day. And then you know Joe Harris ruining the homecoming of Steph Curry and uh, the Curry brothers, pretty much, and and um, that really was probably the best part of the weekend for me. Yeah, uh, Joe Harris with the upset, man. Um, he 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 came out. He was the first shooter in the three point contest, and he put up a big number, twenty five, and nobody could catch him. And he kept he stayed hot through the finals as well. So big shout out to him, and you know, a huge upset in the three point contest. Uh, Steph did put on the show though. He did hit uh, ten shots in a row to start off that final round, but he got cold. He needed all the money balls to tie Joe Harris and send it into a shootout. But you missed one, and Joe Harris is your champion. And then, yeah, the skills competition, I think, in the last couple of years has actually elevated itself um, because the big guys now are very capable of winning. Um, you know, they and, and like you said, Jason Tatum and Trey Young came down to the final, and it looked like Jason Tatum's ball knocked Trey Young's out of the rim, and his went in. Uh, because uh, they had to make a three-pointer to complete the obstacle course. And Trey Young was about 10 steps ahead of Jason Tatum. So Jason Tatum got to half court and just said, fuck it. <laughs> he dropped a bomb. So that was cool to see. So, yeah, I, I thought as just like you, the skills competition, the three-point uh, shootout definitely were, uh, you know, one and two or, or you know, however you want to reverse the order. Uh, when it comes to the highlights of this year's uh, All-Star Weekend. But always fun. Uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell got off in the uh, rookie-sophomore game or USA versus World game. He was the MVP of that game. Uh, he looked really yeah, good. Yeah, he, he looked really good. Um, what's my man? Jason Jason Collins from the, from the Hawks. He had a pretty nasty dunk in that game. Yeah. So that is our NBA talk uh, for right now as the playoffs are getting close. I think there's like 25 more games left in the yeah. season. Uh, the Golden State Warriors are talking about starting to rest some of their guys uh, in back-to-backs here as they're making the East Coast road trip. So hopefully um, you'll be the team that gets the first game because if you're just in the seat that gets the second one, you might not get to see all your stars. But um, you know, the Nuggets are right on their trail uh, as far as getting the best record in the West. They're only one game behind. So we had questions about the Nuggets earlier in the season, and they're still here uh, coming down to the last quarter pull of the season to win. So it looks like they're going to be a real problem to deal with when the playoffs start. I told y'all. <laughs> uh, the Nuggets and the Bucks. Were two of the teams that you know we thought, or most people thought, because I was like they're they're legit, but most people thought they would fall off. But this is a they are a legit team. They're well coached. They have a lot of depth, um, and they're even getting getting even deeper in terms of reinforcements as Isaiah Thomas is going to be coming back. So we're going to see if he's fully healed from that hip and. If he can definitely be an impact player when the playoffs come for Denver. All right. So we'll shift over to college basketball for our final topic of this episode. And we'll start off with where else? Cameron Indoor Stadium. Zion Williamson placed 36 seconds versus UNC before leaving the game with a knee sprain after his shoe blew out. Uh, that still left about uh, 19 minutes and 30 seconds for the greatest coach in college basketball to come up with the plan. And uh, he didn't, as UNC defeated Duke at home, 88-72. to 72. So, um, Dwayne, I'll let you go first on this. Uh, first, the the shoe blowing out. Have you ever seen anything like that in a, in, in a, in a game? That of that high profile that like literally everybody in the country is watching, and then you know the injury for Zion and kind of the fallout from that. No, 
I've never seen anything like that at all. Like, that was probably one of the wildest things I've ever seen. Like, literally, that's not just a nightmare for for Duke. That's a nightmare for Nike because, you know, how do you trust Nike when that shoot endorsement deal comes in? Uh, you saw the shadiness from Puma. Probably that never happened to Pumas. And this was, yeah, it was a wild uh, sequence of events, but you could really just tell that, yeah, there was plenty of time to make adjustments, but I think the adjustments were made, just the players were just not into it. Like, the wind was taken out of that whole stadium, and Carolina being the savages that they are took advantage as they should have. It's a rivalry game. You have deep-seated hatred towards your rival. You don't feel sorry for anything that happens to them. So they did exactly what they were supposed to do in terms of getting taken advantage of the situation and literally blowing Duke out the water at home. So when this rematch comes on March 9th, we'll see what happens, and we'll go from there. If you had to put a percentage on it, what is your take on if Zion Williamson plays the rest of the regular season or if he just sits it out and plays in the tournament and that's it? I was, I was At the time the injury happened, I was going to say there was a 10% chance he returns. A ninety percent chance I was that he just goes ahead and gets ready for the draft. Uh, Coach K says he is going to come back, even though people have pretty much ethered Duke and the NCAA, rightfully so. But I would say now, even when Coach K said that, and he listed it day to day, I'll upgrade it to a twenty-five percent chance he returns and a. 75% chance that he goes but the only thing I could probably see him returning is if you know Duke does have a deep run for the national title they got RJ Barrett they got Cam Reddish they got but those two guys are going to have to start being leaders and being more assertive in order to in order to what's the word I'm looking for have a shot. This was a brilliant, brilliant game plan by Mr. Roy Williams. It will get lost in all the Zion Williamson talk. And it's unfortunate that the kid got hurt. And, you know, especially in such a high profile manner with all the celebrities and dignitaries in the crowd and everything. But when it comes to the actual playing of the basketball game, Oh, this was a clinic. Roy Williams took Coach K to the woodshed. I don't know if Zion was there, if it really would have mattered because Duke's defense was non-existent. And, you know, whatever you can say about the level of, you know, they weren't into it or whatever. Well, so what? Tough luck. They got their ass whipped. And, uh, yeah, it was a good night to be a Tar Heel. So hopefully Zion Williams does come back, though. Um I actually have had a chance to meet him and interact with him uh, several times. He is not your typical Duke player. He is really nice gear, really personable. I actually call him the mayor because he's got time for everybody on campus. He's never, you know, too busy or anything like that for people. So, you know, I'd like to definitely see him come back and uh, definitely like to see him play uh, in the final game of the year in Chapel Hill. And then everybody can see, you know, that it might not have been a fluke. But that's just me. Uh, LSU, they got a big win as they upset Tennessee in overtime. It looked like Tennessee was going to be set up to be the new number one after Duke got beat. But, nope, that's not the case. LSU played an inspired game, and I got the win in overtime. So, your new number one for the second time this year. Gonzaga quietly has been handling their business out there on the West Coast during these late nights. They're, they're in the West Coast Conference. Of course they're <laughs> supposed to handle their business. <laughs> hey, man. Like outside of St. Mary's and remotely BYU. 
There's no competition in the West Coast Conference. Hey, man, you, cool. you got to show up. You still got to show up. <sighs> I mean, I hate them guys back. Shout out to them, though. But <laughs> the truth is the truth. They are in the West Coast Conference. I will say that. So they're your new number one. Uh, but the team that I think everybody has really got their eyes on and the team that, um, you know, has really played well and has been kind of out of the radar for them has been Kentucky. They dropped the bomb on Tennessee uh, a couple of nights, uh, about a week ago, uh, when they had a, a big matchup against each other. I think they've won something like eight or nine in a row. And, uh, you know, they've, they've just been quietly making their way um you know, up the polls since, you know, early in the season, you know, they had some misfires and things. But, yeah, Kentucky looks to be one of these teams that, you know, when you look up in tournament time, they may be, you know, one of the teams that nobody really wants to play. And it's kind of weird for them because they're sneaking up on people. And don't forget about Sparty. Yeah, they got the big win over Michigan on the road uh, uh, on uh, that would be Sunday night. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's getting tournament time in. And, you know, the, the, the coaches with the track records, they, they get their teams. The, you know, right here in the middle of February, end of February, tournament time, you know, they uh, conference tournament time, they get their teams whipped into shape. And you start seeing the 12 teams that really have a legitimate shot at maybe cutting the nets down. So, uh, as always, it's going to be fun. Now, one of those teams that's not really in the 12, and it's kind of an oddity this year, that would be your Kansas Jayhawks, Dwayne. Texas Tech hammered Kansas 91-62, to all but ensuring that Kansas won't win the Big 12 regular season this year for the first time since 1989. Now, last year it looked like the streak was going to end, but you guys got some – you know, losses by the teams ahead of you, and you guys rallied, and, and you kept the streak alive. But this year, you got five conference losses. It's not in the cards, my friend. So, your assessment of this Kansas Jayhawks team, and, you know, are they going to be a threat going forward in March, or is this a throwaway season and come back next year, reload, and, and see what happens? Now, before we just write Kansas off, and say the streak is over. They're only back. They're only back two games. With, with what five games to play? Five games to play. One of those games is against the team that's leading the Big Twelve. Those Wildcats in Manhattan, and that is actually a game tonight. So yeah, if Kansas loses this game, then we might as well just say the streak is over, and and we can just cancel the rest of the just cancel the rest of the cancel the streak and then the house of horrors known as Gallagher Iberine in Oklahoma in Stillwater Stillwater Oklahoma Oklahoma State they have to win that game Oklahoma State's 10 to 17 but Bill Self who is Oklahoma State alone is not really good against the Cowboys in terms of playing Stillwater. Then they got to go to Norman and take on the Oklahoma Sooners. And that's not going to be an easy game either. So, yeah, actually not five games to play, four games to play. So, it looks bleak. But all they got to do is at least tie. Because looking at looking at K State, they're at, they're at Kansas, and it's not going to be easy road for them either. Because they have to take on Baylor, then they have to go to Fort Worth, take on TCU, and then they got Oklahoma and Bruce Weber. I love just any chance I get a chance to Bruce Weber. I think this is the game tonight. They have Kansas State has to win this game in Lawrence, where Kansas is fifteen and zero this season. Kansas has been a good away team, and that's what's been their downfall. Five of their seven conference losses have all been on the road, including the one in Manhattan. But they are the only unbeaten team 
in the Big 12, and they got two home games left. So they got to find a way to win these two away games in Oklahoma between the with the Cowboys and the Sooners. And all they got to do is at least tie. I mean, they won or shared the last 14. It looks insurmountable. It looks bleak. Uh, you know, there's no real excuse. You know, nobody's going to show any sympathy or mercy. I mean, you've had the D'Souza ruled ineligible. You lost Yudoka Zabuki for the season, which in my eyes was, the, for me, that's what really kind of took Kansas out of the national title equation. And then LeGerald Vick is, took a leave of absence to take care of uh, personal and family issues. So a lot of things have happened. It's been a really snake-bitten kind of year in Lawrence, but we just had to, you know, that's really been next man up, and we just had to see what happens and go forward. But, you know, as with a lot of things, as much as it pains me to say it, all good things do come to an end. And if the streak is over, then that's going to be one of those things that just comes to an end. So, so yeah. Trivia time. Do you know who the coach was the last time y'all didn't win the Big 12? Last time we didn't win the Big 12, the coach was Bill Self. Because they haven't won. They've won a share the last 15, but, but um, you know, Larry Brown was a coach in 88, and then Roy Williams took over in 89. And in 89, they were ineligible for that. They're ineligible because of NCAA violations and under Larry Brown. So the first year of Roy Williams not be the first year of Roy Williams, they were ineligible for the tournament and they didn't win the conference. And and uh, but Bill Self, I think Texas was the last team. Uh, Texas or Oklahoma State, they were the last team to win the Big Twelve without Kansas being there. Yep, it's been a very long time. So, changing of the guard, it looks like, in the Big 12. But, like you said, never kick Kansas out. Bill Self is a great coach. And once they get outside their league into the NCAA tournament with teams that aren't as familiar with them, you know, anything can happen. They get the right draw in the tournament. And everybody will forget about the five conference losses or more that they're going to have this year. So, um, it's that time of the year in March. We've got um, most teams have five. Uh, regular season games, some teams have four, and then, of course, the conference tournaments, and then we'll be getting, talking about the big dance. Everybody will be bracket crazy and Cinderella stories and buzzer beaters. and No know, brackets for me. All that good I'm stuff. Bracket free is the way to be. <laughs> so, in the next few weeks, we'll definitely be talking more about the NCAA tournament. Can't wait. It's a good time of the year because, uh, you know. Time of the year. Yeah, spring like training's it. coming back and Masters and all this, so things are starting to... cards in full swing. Yeah, get back into... The playoffs are, the playoffs are coming. The playoffs are on coming. The ice, the playoffs on the are coming. ice and on the court. Right, right. So, with that being said, Dwayne, I'll turn it over to you, man, for your final thoughts, thank yous, and shout-outs. So shout out to all of the listeners. Shout out to the Nova Score family. Shout out to the CSPN family. And shout out to uh, my family as well. Uh, my final thought is going to go to the ice, the Carolina Hurricanes. Apparently Don Cherry, who is a, who is a hockey analyst known for his ridiculous highly ridiculous and eyesores that he calls suits had the nerve to call the Carolina Hurricanes a bunch of jerks. Why did he call them a bunch of jerks? Because the Hurricanes have this new tradition this year that's called the storm surge. So after every home win, they wait till the opponent gets off the ice and they, they have various celebrations and it has become a hit in Raleigh. It has become a, hit among Hurricane fans in the Carolinas. And, you know, the team has enjoyed it. It keeps them loose. And 
and it brings him a lot of fun. But Don Cherry apparently channeled his inner ape Simpson and was not happy about it. He called them a bunch of jerks, called them, said they shouldn't do this in the playoffs. So what did the Hurricanes do? They decided to embrace it, change their Twitter file to the that bunch of jerks with the fun celebrations. They also have a new shirt that's out called Bunch of Jerks. I'm going to get one, by the way, when I get paid on Friday because it's freaking awesome. But I hope the Hurricanes make the playoffs for this, you know, because it would be good to have springtime hockey, hockey tailgates in the Carolinas again. And I also want to just see Don Cherry's blood boil when the Hurricanes win a couple of playoff games and they do the storm surge and all that good jazz. So shout out to the Hurricanes. Take warning. I am a fan of the Storm Surge, and I embrace the whole bunch of jerks that they embrace as well. Okay, so I get a chance to see this very often since I get to work at the arena. So they've had some pretty cool ones. Um, They did one where everybody kind of lines up, like down, they make like a lane into the goal. And one of the rookies, Andre Shvestikov, does like a slide into the goal. That was pretty cool. Uh, They did one last week where they did like uh, baseball, like the natural, Roy Hobbs, or like a walk-off home run. That one was pretty cool. And then uh, this past week, their last home game that they won, they did the limbo. Yeah. And I think the limbo is the one that set all Don off there. (laughs) But... It's awesome. I I enjoy it. And oh, you should see it in person. It's great, man. Like at the end of the season, at I mean, beginning of the season, after the first game, they start doing the um, the thing that the skull clap that uh, yeah. the Vikings do. The Vikings, yeah. And it's and, and we're kind of all looking around each other, like, what the hell are they doing? Right. <laughs> and then it gets louder and louder and louder. And then what they did for the very first one was they actually did the storm surge. They like all skated and just ran and jumped into the boards. And so then I was like, okay, that was cool. And then, you know, as the year has gone on and they've, you know, gotten better and won more games, now it's been like, okay, what are they going to do after the game? What are they going to do when they win? What are they going to do when they win? So definitely something for the home crowd. It's not disrespectful to the other team. Like you said, they do wait so the team is off the ice, and it's just a, you know, something special for the the home crowd because we don't win a lot. We haven't won a lot of games at home, and that's changed this year. So it's you know definitely something that the home crowd can hang their hat on and, and get a chance to say, oh man, we saw something cool tonight after they won. So for me, I'll just tell everybody: please visit CSPN.us and. Support our sponsors, help keep our podcast free over on the CSPN network, audible.com, um, Amazon, Busted Tees. There's something for everybody. CSPN.us. Keep our podcast free tab at the top of the page. Uh, what I'm going to talk about for my final thought would just be our NASCAR's back. Uh, thank you to everybody who listened to my NASCAR preview show with uh, John Haverland. Uh, thank him for joining me as we talked about Daytona 500, and we also talked about the NASCAR season upcoming. Uh, shout out to Denny Hamlin and uh, Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, they had a very tough off season as the basically the guy who uh, Joe Gibbs' son, J.D. Gibbs, who was the point man in getting Jake, Joe Gibbs into NASCAR in the first place, uh, he passed away. He battled a long uh, neurological disease, and he passed away in the NASCAR offseason, and uh, he was a driver for a little while, and his number was 11, and so he was the one who discovered Denny Hamlin, and when they put him in the car, his car number is number 11. So it was just fitting that on the first race since his passing that uh, the number 11 of Joe Gibbs racing uh, won the Daytona 500. Uh, It was a wreck fest. Um, Half the cars got taken out in this huge melee. Um, All Menard. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so um, it's restricted plate racing at its finest uh, when it comes to the big crashes. And then uh, on Sunday, the real season started as Brad Keselowski overcame a weekend stomach bug. And uh, he won in Atlanta. Uh, this is the first race with the new rules package. They're trying to um, foster some closer racing, more 
pack style racing on the mile and a half track so you don't get so spread out but uh, they did get spread out in Atlanta yesterday just because that track is such a difficult track to drive uh, but uh, this week when they show up to Vegas uh, this should be the really good test of this package because apparently you can go all the way around the track without having to lift you can just keep your foot down since they reduced the horsepower uh, they went from 750 horsepower to about 550 horsepower so now the guys can basically on these tracks just keep it matted down and if they can hold hold on to it in the turns you just go around the track and what that does is the more times you can do that and not break your speed you just build up more momentum and that's basically how you get to the front of these races the person who can do that the most times and not have to break their speed is usually how you you know win races so It'll be very interesting to see how this works. What they're trying to do is make it where they're closer together and the teams that don't have as much money, if they have a good driver, they can sneak out a few more wins during the season. Yeah. Gives them a chance. Right, right. Because if you're not like a Hendrick or a Gibbs or a Roush, then, you know, it's kind of hard. It's very hard. So... Hopefully that does work. I'm very much going to be intrigued by the first half of this NASCAR season. Uh, hopefully I get to make it to a few races this year and we'll get some you know, exclusive uh, content for Patreon of a NASCAR weekend uh, like I did last year for Charlotte and Richmond. So definitely stay tuned if you're a NASCAR fan uh, to know the score here and also on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash CSPN media. So for the Libra icon, Dwayne, I'm Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.